So I want to open this up by, by just speaking a little bit about uh, uh, the context here. So Jesus has just finished the Olivet Discourse. Last week I spoke on, on uh, uh, the judgment of the Gentiles that was coming. And I spoke as that as being different from, from, from the, the, uh, the judgment for the Jews. So let me just clarify this. In the New Testament, it speaks of three different groups. It speaks of the Jew, the Gentile, and the Church of God. In fact, it's, that's specifically written in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 32. He says, he says, don't bring any offense to the Jew or to the Greek, meaning the Gentile, or to the Church of God. There were three different groups. Whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile, once you've entered the church, we're all the same. Once we've entered the church, we come under this banner of the church of Jesus Christ. He looks at us as, as a unit. There is no longer Jew or Gentile. There is no longer male or female. We are all one in Christ. He looks at us as one. Service-oriented, we might be different. But we are all one in Christ once, once we enter the church. Prior to our entering the church, there is a distinction by the, between the way he deals with the Jewish people, in, uh, uh, by and large, and the way he deals with the Gentiles. So in the New Testament, it's the Jew, the Gentile, and the Church of God. Once you come into the church, we are under a much better covenant, better than the Abrahamic covenant. We are under, under the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that clarify a little bit? All right, so we're going to start reading in Mark chapter 14. So remember, now the Olivet Discourse is over, that long period of teaching. And, and uh, uh, we'll read it from Mark chapter 14, verse 1. Now the Passover and unleavened bread were two days away, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking to seize him by stealth and kill him. For they were saying, not during the festival, otherwise there might be a riot of the people. So the Passover is two days away. Passover in Israel is a huge thing. And uh, uh, it was just two days away. And it says the chief priests and the scribes. The, the priests were the Sadducees, the scribes, uh, uh, and the elders were the Pharisees. Remember the Sanhedrin, two-thirds Sadducees, one-third Pharisees. And they were seeking by stealth. They wanted to trap him away from the crowds. They didn't want to do it during the festival. You see the intent here. They did not want to disrupt the festival with their, their, their uh, uh, getting of Jesus. They wanted to, to apprehend him, but they said not during the festival. And what we're going to see is God is going to force their hand here. And it's going to happen during the festival. Because what happens is Jesus has to die for our sins. But it's not just that he has to die for our sins. He has to die in a particular way, by crucifixion, as the Old Testament spoke of, on a quote-unquote tree. And the, secondly, it has to happen during the Passover. It has to. If it, if it didn't matter when he had to die, he could have died when he was two years old in, 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 in Bethlehem, along with all the other two-year-olds and, and under males that were killed. That's why every time they tried to kill Jesus, they tried to kill him by stoning they tried to kill him by tossing him off a cliff. They could never touch him because it wasn't his time. He has to die on the Passover. Satan wants him to die, but not by crucifixion and not on the Passover. This is exactly how it's going to happen. So you see, God is in this. And they don't want to do this during the festival. They don't want to have him killed during the festival. But God is going to force their hand in this. Now let's turn to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, and we'll read the, the, the uh, parallel portion here. 
And we're going to read Matthew chapter 26, reading from verse 1. When Jesus had finished all these words, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man is going to be handed over for crucifixion. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people were gathered together in the court of the high priest named Caiaphas. And they plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they were saying, not during the festival, otherwise a riot might occur among the people. So you see, it's, it, says, it says in verse 1, after he had finished that long Olivet Discourse, Jesus said to his disciples, you know, after two days, the Passover is coming. So after two days. So this is now Tuesday night that Jesus is speaking to them. Tuesday night is the Jewish Wednesday morning because their day doesn't start at midnight like our day. Their day starts at around 6 p.m. at sunset on that day. So it's 6 p.m. So this is now, would be our Tuesday night. It would be their Wednesday morning. So after two days is going to be Friday. Jesus is going to die on a Friday on the Sabbath day. And uh, uh, some people have that, that all confused in their mind. I'll be glad to talk with you offline about that. It is very clear. He died on a Friday on the Passover day. And he says to him, he says to them, you know, after two days, the Passover is coming and the Son of Man is to be handed over for crucifixion. So this is the fourth time that Jesus speaks about his death to his disciples. This is the fourth time he speaks about his death to the disciples. What's new here is not that he is going to die by crucifixion. He names exactly how he's going to die. That's nothing new. He said that before. But what's new here is he dates it. He says in two days. This is the first time he gives us the date of when this is going to happen. He says in two days. That to them is, is, is a new word. And it says, and it was in verse 3, it was the chief priests and the elders of the people were gathered together in the court of the high priest named Caiaphas. Now you read in the New Testament about two high priests. Now a priest, a high priest became high priest until his death. So why do we read about Annas the high priest and Caiaphas the high priest and they were both alive? And that's because Annas was the high priest, but he was deposed by the Romans. The Romans, who, who were overlords of, of, of the entire region, didn't like Annas, and for good reason. And so what they did is they pulled him out of his office and they put his son-in-law in his place, who was Caiaphas. And that's why at times you will see Annas still referred to as the high priest, because the Jews still acknowledged Annas' position there. But functionally, it was Caiaphas because the Romans had said, no, we don't want Annas, Annas being there anymore. So, you, you, so Caiaphas is, is his, his son-in-law. Uh, again, the high priest had to be of these children of Aaron, these descendants of Aaron. So Caiaphas is leading this thing, and he was in the court of the high priest. So where the high priest is, this is where they were gathered, and they were plotting together to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. So what I want to do is I want to pull back from this and try to get into the mind of the high priest and the elders at this time. How could men who have devoted their lives to helping people, devoted their lives to teaching people about God, be sitting around and planning a man's death? And this man has not killed anybody. This man has said many things that bother them but he has done only good works to people. And why is it, how is it, that human beings who intend good in their lives, they didn't start, say, seminary training or their, their, their rabbinical training saying, we can't wait for the day when we can plot and kill somebody. 
You know, very few of us wake up in the morning and say, mm, I can't wait today to deceive somebody, to hurt somebody. That's not the way generally that people are. And especially people that have been given a task of teaching other people about the ways of God. But what we read in the New Testament, it concerned them greatly. It says they thought they were going to lose their position because so many people were coming to Jesus. And Jesus even said there's going to come a day when people think that they're doing a service to God by killing you. And this is what we begin to see here. But how is it from the individual? How is it that an individual could start to calculate so dastardly things? when they see their careers beginning to unravel because so many people are going to Jesus. They see their careers beginning to unravel and they start scheming to protect their own careers. This is not so unusual for these sort of thoughts to come our way. This is not so unusual. Let me tell you about a story that has come upon me recently that has caused me to lose more sleep. Now I'm sleeping fine, but but last month caused me to lose more sleep than any other thing in my career that has ever happened. So it's something that's recently occurred. So we published a paper in a very broad journal, and and one of the claims we made in the paper was that that mechanistically we made a claim of, of, of how molecules go together. And it was a big claim. Nobody had ever seen this thing before. And we had three different pieces of, uh, of, 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 of spectroscopic information that gave us these signs. It wasn't based on one piece of evidence. It was based on three different pieces of evidence that all looked for this. Well, the group was trying to reproduce some of this work because we were trying to extend beyond there. The person who had done this work graduated and uh, they couldn't reproduce it. Not in any one of the spectra could they reproduce it. Now, it turns out that each of those three spectra were run by a different person, but still it was overseen by one particular graduate student, and we couldn't reproduce it. And so this was a huge claim. So I'm really getting concerned here, as you can imagine, that you make a big claim in a very important journal. And now my group is looking at me. What are you going to do now? It's not reproducible. This is a big deal in science, to make a big claim. If it's a little claim, nobody really you know, cares about it. You just published in a ratum, but if, it, if it's a little thing, but if it's a big claim, it's a big thing. And I was wondering what was going on, and I called back this student who's now working at a job here in Houston, and he came in, he said, I'll do whatever I can to help you. He made some more of the material, and, and uh, uh, he, it, he was able to make the material right in front of the guys in a way that was showing some things that none of my guys could ever make presently, but still it wasn't giving these three keys of spectroscopic information. So I'm thinking, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? Now, there is a way, you know, you can have a retraction of the paper you could do, or you can have an erratum where you publish a correction. An erratum is not that bad. You just publish a correction. And a withdrawal of a paper is a big deal, especially with a big claim. So I was praying like crazy, and that to withdraw a paper, you have to have real evidence that says that this can't really work anymore. It's not like as you proposed. And so I was praying, and did you know thoughts went through my mind? Like, well, maybe if we just, just ignore it. Just ignore it. Now, that's a dastardly thought. But I'm just telling you thoughts that would go racing through my mind. 
And students are looking at me, what are you going to do? And they helped me so much. They were running spectra all night long trying to get things to try to reproduce this. And I had a big meeting last week where I had to go to Boston and report on this in a big society meeting. They were all waiting to hear more about this claim. And I, you know, I'd seen the abstract. And so I had to get up and talk about this. So I'm thinking, what am I going to do? And so I would wake up at night. I'd dream about this. It would wake me up. And I'd get so nervous I couldn't get back to sleep. So this is what was happening to me all through this month of November and the end of October and into November. And the Lord began to reassure me. He began to reassure me in the scriptures of how he was going to just give me wisdom and help me. And it turned out just a few days before I had to go to Boston, they set up another experiment. And in this experiment, they saw something we had never seen before. They built a high-pressure cell, something we've never had. And, and uh, they saw this, the, the carbon dioxide lining up and no longer spinning around. So you have a molecule that's not spinning. This means the molecule is fixed in a matrix, which is, it, was, it wasn't exactly what we saw, but it underscored the point that we had made the original claim that CO2 is fixed. It stops being a gas. It stops being a liquid. The molecules are fixed into a polymeric state. This was a huge advance just a few days before I had to go speak in, 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 in Boston. But still I had to go speak in Boston and say, here's the three spectra we published previously. We could not reproduce any of these. Now what I did is I told immediately the dean of, of the graduate school, and the dean of graduate students, the, the vice president of the graduate school, the dean, dean of students, the head of research, and I told them exactly what was going on because I, I just wanted to get out in front of this thing. And then I, I recorded my message in, in, in Boston, and I recorded it, and, 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 and I uh, uh, did the audio of it, and I put up the slides and said, we cannot reproduce any of these. But here's what we have, and I talked about the new thing. And you know, nobody cared. Nobody cared. I was sweating bullets over this thing, and nobody cared. You know, I had this other great result, and that's all they focused on. To my students, it was a great testimony that I wasn't going to try to cover this thing up. I wasn't going to try to move on. And still, I have to figure out how I'm going to correct what was in the paper. But the scriptures talk about what we have to do in a situation like this. And the reason I'm telling you this is, that here's what's going to happen in your career. Something is going to happen at some point in your life where you will have the option to walk deceptively to cover it up or to come out in front of it and expose this thing. Nobody starts out a career saying, I'm going to cover things up. Nobody does that. But you get caught in situations like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? So what I want you to do is I want you to turn to Proverbs, Proverbs chapter chapter 4, Proverbs chapter 4, and we're going to read a verse here that, that teaches us how to, how to just really be cautious of things. Proverbs chapter 4, and we're going to read from verse 23, Proverbs 4.23. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put devious speech far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead of you and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Uh, 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 turn your foot away from evil. 
So he says, watch over your heart. The reason I'm telling you this is when something happens, don't try to cover it up. Don't try to walk deceptively. God will give you a great breakthrough. And the way you deal with this, turn over a couple pages to to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6, he tells us exactly how to deal with it. Proverbs chapter 6, reading from verse 1. My son, if you have become surety for your neighbor, have given a pledge for a stranger, if you have been snared by the words of your mouth, have been caught with the words of your mouth. So he says, if, you, if, if you're in debt, something has happened, you've become surety for your neighbor. That means that you co-signed on a loan for your neighbor. If you've co-signed on a loan for your neighbor and now you're trapped, if, if you've been caught by the words of your mouth, you've said something and now you're caught, here's what he says to do with it. Here's how you deal with it. He says in verse 3, Do this then, my son, and deliver yourself. Since you have come into the hand of your neighbor, go humble yourself and importune your neighbor. Give no sleep to your eyes nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hunter's hand and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. He says you do it immediately. You immediately, as soon as this thing hit, I immediately called in the guys and said, look, we can't get this thing. You try to get this spectrum. You try to get this. You try to get this. And they tried and they tried and they tried. And I immediately sent this letter, this email to the, to the, uh, uh, the, the, the uh, vice president for research and the dean of the graduate students. I said, here's what happened. We can't redu- reproduce the spectra. We're going to try to figure this thing out. And they thanked me for getting out in front of this thing because it's, it's hard on the university if deceptive information has gone out. I wanted to understand this thing. And I called back all of these people. He says, you deal with it immediately. The longer you wait the harder it is. The longer you try to put this thing aside and just, you know, put it in a box and shut it down and sit on top of that box and it keeps popping its head out. The longer you wait, the harder it's going to be. You come out with it immediately. We do things in our life. It's not something we planned on. It's not with intent that we might plan on something, but we get ourselves caught in things. And the Lord does this. He says, remember your heart and deal with it quickly. He says, go and humble yourself to your neighbor. It's a humbling thing to say, hey, we got this thing wrong. But he says, do it. Go and humble yourself to your neighbor. And guess what happened? I went and I humbled myself in this big audience at at the uh, Materials Research Society meeting, all the experts sitting there. And I I said, we can't reproduce this. Then I said, but here's what we've got. They didn't even care. A lot of times they don't even care. But we just build this thing up in our own minds. Do you see what I'm saying? Remember this in your career. It tells us you deal with it quickly. Give no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Deal with it quickly. Let this thing be dealt with. Because the cover-up ends up being the thing that can utterly destroy us. You say, hey look, you know, I, I got it wrong. But here's what I got and here's what we saw. Here's the spectrum. You just get out in front of it. So that's a lesson for you. Let's go back to, to, to uh, Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. And we're going to continue to pick this up, the, the next part of the teaching. Mark chapter 14, verse 3. Mark 14, verse 3. While he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume, a pure nard. And she broke the vial and poured it over his head. But some were indignantly remarking to one another, 
Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they were scolding her, but Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed, for you always have the poor with you. And whenever you wish, you can do good to them. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Truly I say to you, Wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be spoken of her in memory. So now that we're speaking of it, again, it's a fulfillment of what Jesus said. It was in the home of Simon of the leper in Bethany. So Simon is no longer a leper. This implies that Jesus healed the leper or else he wouldn't be allowed in his home. So Jesus healed the leper, again, which was a messianic miracle. We've covered this before. Well, why call him Simon the leper? Because people often have nicknames. Why are names so hard to remember? Remember, Because they have no association to who we are. Do I look like a James? I mean, what does a James look like? But, but, uh, but, if you, but if you call a person according to their characteristics, you remember that immediately. And, and, uh, uh, and, and so... You're not allowed to do that these days because of you know, political correctness and nice, niceties. But when I was a kid, you called people according to their characteristics. You called them something according... And, it, and the name stuck. And, and you never forgot their name because it was something according to their characteristics. You know what I mean? That the old days, this is what people did. So, so, um, uh, so they, they said this was the home of Simon the leper. That's, that's the way they referred to him. Not politically correct, but that's, that was a different generation. So this woman comes and breaks this alabaster vial of costly perfume, puts it over his head. This is recorded in, in, in Mark, in Matthew, and in John. There is a different instance that's recorded in Luke that happened years before, and that's where, where Mary, who was the prostitute, came and anointed Jesus' feet. That was a different instance. This is a, now a time. This perfume was only used, this type of perfume was only used by women on their wedding day. On their wedding day. And they would save this up for their wedding day. This was worth 300 denarii. That's 300 days wage for a laborer. So what is, that's about a year's wages for a laborer. How much is that? $30,000, $35,000 by our, our perspective. Say, that's a lot of money. And she was to use it on her wedding night. She may not be getting married. This is going to change her life. And the disciples said, why this waste? Could have been sold and given to the poor. Jesus said, you know, you always have the poor with you. It's okay to waste on God. I remember when I first got saved, I brought my mother to church and, and uh, came from a Jewish home and brought my mother to church. And uh, um, she was just weeping in church. And after the service, I said, you were really touched by that service, weren't you? She said, touched? I said, yeah, you, you were weeping. She said, I wasn't touched. I said, well, why were you weeping? She said, I was weeping for you. I said, why were you weeping for me? That you were in that place on a Sunday morning. I said, well, where would you like me to be on a Sunday morning? She said, like, how about the beach? Like a normal human being. <laughs> but you can understand her perspective. I mean, this is hard for a mother to see her son take this radical change in his life. But she didn't understand. For me, the sacrifice of being in church, worshiping the Lord, is much greater than doing my own thing on the beach on a Sunday morning. It's okay to take our time and give it to the Lord. It's okay to do this. 
to what the world might call waste. Oh, you give money to the church? I mean, come on. Why would you do that? Because I want it for the Lord's work. I want it for the Lord's work. They say, well, you know, you, you, you could give it to the, you know, give it to UNICEF or something. No. I want to give it through the church's work. It's okay to do a good thing. Let's look at the same portion in, in, uh, in, um, in John. John. Turn to John chapter 12. The parallel portion in John chapter 12. And we're going to start reading from verse 1. Or, 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 okay, verse 2. John chapter 12, verse 2. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus. Now remember, the other gospel said his head. Well, it's obviously she covered his head, she covered his feet. I mean, she was doing both. Anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, who was intending to betray him, who was, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had the money box, and he used to pilfer what was put into it. Therefore Jesus said, let her alone, so that she may so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. So you see that, that um, one gospel reports that was, was on his head, another gospel on his feet. Which one was it? was it? The gospel's wrong. No, this is exactly how you would report it. It's as if you were to come over to my house and you see me today and I, and I'm, I, I take a, a, a piece of chicken and I take a fajita. And you say, I was at Tour's house and he was eating chicken. And another person says, I was at Tour's house, he was eating a fajita. Well, he was eating both. One person reports one thing, one person reports the other. This is normal way of reporting. Remember, if you have everything exactly the same, it speaks of collusion. And, and uh, so, so it says, but here, this gospel names her. The other gospel didn't name her. Here, it's, it's, as, as Wikipedia would say, it's disambiguated. She gives the name of the person. So, so, and we know that this is now Mary, the sister of Martha, the sister of Lazarus. This is not Mary who was the prostitute. This is the sister of Martha and of Lazarus. This is the Mary who used to sit at Jesus' feet when he, she would teach. And the sister Martha was serving and, and Martha was complaining and Jesus said, no, she's chosen the better thing. What did she do? It says she anointed him for his burial. That was her intent. She realized Jesus was going to die. This is something none of the disciples got. None of the apostles got this. Mary got it. Mary understood it. It says she anointed him for his death. She got it. She was the only one to get it. None of the apostles realized that he meant what he said. In two days, I'm being crucified. She anointed him for his death. Because people didn't take showers every day, twice a day, like we do in this society. So she's anointing him for his death. And that anointing is going to stay with him in his death and in his burial. She's anointing him for this. She got it. She got it so much. Did you know of the three Marys that it reports that went to the grave on, on Easter morning to go and anoint his body? 
She's not among them. She got it that he was going to raise from the dead. She's the only one who understood this. All the other Marys went there to anoint his body only to find he wasn't going to be there. She knew he was rising from the dead. This Mary really got it. This Mary understood what was happening. And you see here, talking about Judas, Judas only complained about the money, not because he cared about the poor, but he was in charge of the money box and he used to pilfer it. Judas opened himself up in a small sin of pilfering some money, taking a few bucks out of the the, the money box. And he opened himself up to a much greater sin of turning over the Lord himself. You open yourself up to small things and it will lead to bigger things. And students often sit around, oh, you know, I don't do anything wrong. Okay, do you have any software or any songs on your devices that you don't own? that you haven't paid for, that are not really yours. If you do, you are doing little things that is wrong, very wrong. You say, well, what should I do? Oh, it's easy. You just delete it. Delete every one of them. Or you buy it. You say, well, I already got a copy. Well, buy a real copy. Pay money and buy it. That's how you correct it. You do little things wrong and it will lead to bigger things that go wrong in your life. And somehow we think, oh, well, I never do anything wrong. Well, think about it. Think about it. He would just take a few dollars from the money box. And he ends up turning over the Lord. But Mary was the one who understood this. What I want to reflect on is how is it that all these apostles could be sitting there and not get it? Remember, Jesus many, four times told them, and it says... They, they never really understood this thing. But Mary understood. She anointed him for his burial. How is it that two people can sit in the same room and hear the same message and one responds in faith and the other does not? That one person takes hold of eternal life and the other does not? That two people can walk into a church service and one person says, that's the most boring message. And the other person says, that was great They heard the same message. How is it that one heart can be so responsive to the Word of God and the other heart is not? How is it? I urge you today, if you have not received the Lord, if you've not asked Jesus to come into your heart, to open your heart today. Don't let it go. Don't let it pass by. Open your heart today to the Lord. Don't let it pass by. Don't be one of these people that just doesn't get it. Mary got it. She understood this thing. Take hold of the Lord today. Don't let it pass by. After the Lord's Supper, I'm going to be here. If you receive the Lord today, come and talk to me. If you want to receive the Lord, come and talk to me. I will pray with you. It's not complex. Jesus has taken care of all the complexity. He's dealt with it all. It's a very simple thing. You can pray and receive Him. If your heart lacks responsiveness to the Word of God, where you read the Scriptures, you're a believer, you believe Jesus Christ has died for your sins as He's risen from the dead, but it's hard for you to take hold of these things in your life and have it. Pray to God, say, Lord, open up my life. Let me be like Mary and get this thing and believe your Word and understand it. Let me be like Mary and get hold of this thing. Pray to God to open up your heart and He will.
He will. If we ask Him, He answers. Go figure, God answers prayer. That's what He does. He answers prayer. Ask Him to open up your heart that this one person of all the people, she understood. She never went to the grave. There was no need. He wasn't going to be there very long. But she anointed Him for His burial. Because He said in two days of the Passover, once He gave the date, boom! Mary said, I've got to anoint Him. And I'm going to take my very best and give it to Him. And it is good to take your very best and do what the world would say, waste it on God. Give it to the Lord. And, and spend time with the Lord. It, there is always going to be needs where people can be served all the time. But you need time with the Lord. Don't skip Bible study to help out another person all the time. Once in a while, fine. But you've got to go to Bible study. Don't skip your prayer time because somebody needs help with something. Have your prayer time and then go and help others. It is okay to give your very best to the Lord. People say, what time should I really have my own quiet time? I say, whatever is your best time of day. For me, I'm a morning person. It's the best time of day for me. I have no other distractions around. I'm giving Him the best hour of my day, the first thing in the morning. Some people are good at giving, them, giving the Lord the last hour. For me, the last hour of the day for me is the worst hour. I'm just like constantly falling asleep. That's the worst hour that I could give Him. You give Him your very best, whatever that is. And they, you, you will always get all these things pulling on you. They say, couldn't you just given it to the poor? He says, no. This is for, it's okay to give to the Lord. Okay to pour this out on the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for Your Word, for the truth of it. And I pray, Lord, for these young people, that when things confront them in life where they have to make a decision, to walk uprightly, but it will bring humbling in their lives or to cover it up. Father, I pray that they would do exactly as the Scriptures teaches us, to expose it immediately and to not give sleep to their eyelids, but to immediately deal with this problem because the longer they wait, the harder it will get. Father, have mercy on these young people. And Lord, I pray that like Mary, they would get it, that Jesus Christ has given His life for us. Father, I pray for these people in this room that don't know You, that haven't received Jesus, that they wouldn't walk out blindly. But Father, that this day, they would pray with me. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins and come into my life. Fill my life. Thank You for rising from the dead for me. Fill my life and make me your child. Father, may they take hold of that this day. And Lord, for these other young people here who know you, who are having trouble just grasping things and getting excited about your word, Father, I pray that their hearts cry, would say, Father, fill me. Fill me with an understanding of your word. Let me get it. Let me understand these things. And Lord, that they would take their very best the most costly that they have, and pour it out in service to the Lord. Father, that they would pour out their time in service to You. They would pour out their lives in fellowship with You. Father, I pray that they'd get hold of Your heart and You of theirs.
Father, have mercy on them, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.